there's a lot I don't know <laughs> about God and about faith and about how all of this is meant to work together. Uh, but maybe, maybe you can relate to this. One practical thing when it comes to just living out our faith that I really struggle with uh, consistently throughout my life, at least the past 20 years, is trusting, um, trusting in God's provision, trusting God to provide for me, for my family, um, for us as a church. Uh, I, I really, the, the things that trip my faith up the most and make me doubt the most are things that center around God's provision for us. Um, I don't know exactly why this is the case because I've lived a relatively comfortable life. Uh, I, you know, I, uh, yeah, things have been pretty fine, but I've just always worried about what could happen and what that means about me and what that means about God. I don't know if it's growing up in like the nineties and being told constantly that the world was ending. Um, I, I can't imagine, like I just really was always worried that something like cataclysmic was about to happen and all my friends were gonna disappear. And I, none of my other siblings worry as much as I do. So I don't know that that's necessarily it. Maybe it's just a perfect combination of my personality and growing up around Y2K when wacky things were happening. Actually, I guess wackier things are happening now. So I don't know what I'm talking about, but the thing that I am trying to say <laughs> is that trusting God to provide for us is, is really hard on a day-to-day -day practical basis. I mean, even um, lately I've been really struggling to, to trust God with what's going on here at TNL. Um, there are a lot more of you here than there have been the past four weeks, which I'm very grateful for and very excited about. But the elders and I have just been wrestling with like, God, why, why we were so sure that we were doing the right thing a year ago when we decided to sort of start over, to move out here, to leave the sacred grace. And I still believe those were the right choices, but I'm just struggling to trust that God is, still has our back. I know in my head that he does, but I struggle to believe it. And the story we're gonna talk about tonight actually centers around this idea of trusting God to provide. Um, we're gonna be looking at the last story in the Bible, uh, last story in Genesis about Abraham. Last week, we talked about Abram. They are the same guy. Uh, we talked about the very first story of Abram where God calls him uh, to leave his family, to leave his homeland, to take his barren wife and to move to a new area that God will tell him about that he's never been before and that God will make his descendants a great nation. That was a weird thing to do in this time because people believe that time was cyclical and that you just repeated the past over and over and over again, the past of your ancestors. So no one moved to new places to start new things. That just was not a thing. And you certainly didn't move to a new place to start a new nation when you can't have kids. And so we talked about how radical it was that Abraham just believes God and goes and follows. The next nine chapters of the Bible are all about Abram and Sarah, his wife, learning more and more about who God is, but also Abram constantly pushing back against God, constantly bringing up like, hey, you promised that I would have a kid, still don't have a kid. There's scenes of, of Abraham and Sarah acting really nobly. There's scenes of them being terrible people as they try to navigate, like, is God worth trusting? Uh, they even try to help God out at one point and Sarah gives Abram one of her servants to get her pregnant so that they can have a son through uh, this other woman and it causes all sorts of problems and Abraham and Sarah don't, don't particularly handle it very well. 
So it's just like a lot of them questioning, God, are you going to fulfill your promise and give us a son? And eventually that very thing happens. Sarah and, and Abraham, Abraham's name has been changed by God at this point from Abram to Abraham. They are very old. Sarah has been barren forever. And yet somehow they conceive and have a child named Isaac. Our story picks up right at the, right after they have had Isaac. It's been a few years. We're not told how long uh, Isaac can talk though and understand things. So we're not sure how old he is. Um, but uh, that's where our story is going to pick up. If you have never read the Bible before, I just want to warn you ahead of time. This is a really hard story. Um, and you'll understand what I mean after we read it. I actually am not going to put the words up tonight because I want you to just listen to what I'm saying. We have all had long days, long stressful days. Some of us have queasy tummies like I do right now. So whatever you need to do to just pause and still yourself, calm your mind so that you can stop thinking about all the things that are going on in your head and just listen to this story. For me, when I'm not the one telling the story, it's always helpful for, for me to just close my eyes, uh, to unclench my fists, to uh, stop pushing the tongue, my tongue into the roof of my mouth and to just take a deep breath and just listen. So this is Genesis chapter 22 verses one through 18. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in a distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son, Isaac, and he carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, father, here I am, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this, have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession 
of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. End of story. This is a really difficult passage. And interestingly enough, I have said to you every week that it doesn't matter what I say about Genesis, people will disagree, sometimes violently disagree. More so than the creation story, more so than the flood story, uh, more so than anything we've talked about this series, this story incites a lot of division, a lot of different ways of interpreting it, and a lot of people hold very strongly to what they think about this passage. So if you disagree with what I'm gonna say tonight, that is fantastic. I have no problem with that. Um, I actually would love to talk with you about that. I've wrestled with this passage for uh, most of my life and um, there's no great, there's no way of interpreting this that just makes everything work out nicely. There are hard parts to this, no matter how you look at it. Uh, It's a difficult passage. God does not look great here. God asked this man to kill his son but then at the last minute he's like, just kidding. Here, here's a ram instead. Abraham does not look good here. <laughs> Abraham, without putting up a fight, goes to do it. Which is crazy because in every other scene, except for what we looked at last week, Abraham questions God's instructions constantly, all the time. Sometimes he even changes God's mind for the better but he's just always pushing back, always asking like, why? Why would you do that? Why if we did something different? I don't wanna do that. Like annoyingly so, and then this happens and he's just, yep, okay, here we go. I know people who have lost their entire faith around this passage and, and being a father and a father of a son, I can't like, I can't imagine this, but as we've seen throughout this series, there's a lot more going on here that we don't understand. Removed four different languages away, thousands of miles away, thousands of years away. And it's still a very hard passage, but there, there are things that make this make a little bit more sense. You see, at this time, people quickly realized in the history of humanity that there are things outside of their control that they need to happen to work out for them to survive. So they need uh, rain, but not too much rain, just enough rain. They need a uh, sun for their um, plants to grow, but not too much sun, just the right amount. They need to have uh, produce good crops, so crops that, uh, produce healthy seeds that they can then plant and produce more crops. They need to uh, not have any pests show up and eat all their crops. They need themselves and their livestock to be free of disease so that they can survive. They need war to work out in their favor. There's all these things that people cannot control, but in their minds, the gods can control these things. And the way that we through proxy control these things is by appeasing the gods. So you have to keep the gods happy. If things go poorly for you, that means that the gods are mad and you need to make it right by sacrificing something to them. If things go well, you need to show the gods that you, uh, you need to show the gods your, your appreciation and your gratitude 
by sacrificing something. No matter what, the answer is sacrifice something. But no one really knows how much to sacrifice, right? How much is enough? And the hint is that it's never enough. There's this constant pressure to give more and more and more to either fix things or keep things going well. And eventually someone comes to the conclusion that how can you show your ultimate devotion to the gods by sacrificing your children? It's horrific, right? <laughs> Especially in our, to our modern eyes. But this is the kind of thing that is commonly practiced in this region around Abraham. It's awful and it's how the world operated. So this story wouldn't have raised any alarms for the original audience, at least not at first. And it, it is telling to us that Abraham seems like he's very familiar with this idea. God says, go sacrifice your son. And he just, he doesn't need to be told what that means. He doesn't need to be told how to do it. He just knows what that means. He knows what, how to do it. He just gets up and goes again. He doesn't push back at all. When before this, he's pushed back against everything in the previous nine chapters. Abraham isn't surprised that God asked him to do this. The original audience isn't surprised that God asked him to do this because this is just, this is what the gods do. Eventually they ask for one of your kids and you have to keep them happy. But then something surprising happens or doesn't happen. What's important here is what doesn't happen, right? What's surprising is that God does not allow this child to be sacrificed because that's not who our God is. This would have caught the audience completely off guard. There's drama to this story. They would have been on the edge of their seats wondering like, this is the promised kid that they've been waiting for years and years and years for. How is this going to work out if he's sacrificed? It wouldn't even enter their minds that like God's going to stop him from, God's going to stop this whole thing. It's as though God is trying to convey through this story to this audience. I'm not like the other gods that you've heard about. I'm not a God pleased by murder. I'm not a God who takes from you. I'm a God who gives to you. I'm a God who provides. And there are actually, when you start to see things through this lens, there are hints along the way in the story that something new here is happening, that this is not normal. What the audience would have assumed is just a normal progression of, yeah, the kid's going to be sacrificed. We're told at the very beginning, and I think this is to ease some tension, that God is testing Abraham to try to help people understand, like, this isn't what you think it is. Also, Abraham says something really interesting to his servants who he brings along with him. He tells them to wait there. He and Isaac are going to go worship. And then he tells them we will come back. He specifically uses a first person plural word. We, we will come back to you. Now there are people who have said that Abraham is lying here, which honestly he lies a lot in other parts of the, the, his story but these are his servants. When he lies in other parts of his story, it's because he's in danger and he's afraid of the people that he's lying to. These are his servants. He has no reason to lie to them. It's as though he's saying like, I believe that something else is going to happen here and we'll both be back. Same thing in what he says to his son. The son says, I've noticed that there's no animal here that we're supposed to sacrifice. So what's the deal? And Abraham says, God will provide the lamb for us to sacrifice. People throughout time have said like, this is him avoiding the question. And this is like a heart wrenching scene, like the son realizing, putting it together, what's going on. And Abraham just lying to him 
to get there. But what if he's not avoiding the question? What if he's not lying? <laughs> what if he's really expressing trust that God will provide? Throughout the story that we <laughs> skipped over the previous nine chapters, again and again and again, Abraham questions and doubts. And then eventually a son shows up. And it's as though God providing this promised son that is impossible, would have been impossible without God for him to uh, have been born. Abraham knows that God is going to provide for him. He trusts that God is not going to allow this son that he's been promised to be destroyed. Because the story is about provision. The story is about a God who gives not a God who takes. Sacrifice is all about the gods taking something away from you, taking something to keep themselves happy and to uh, keep things good with you and them. Here, God provides the sacrifice. Here, God renews the vow that he has said to Abraham over and over and over that his descendants will be blessings to the earth. Here, God tells Abraham, I am going to provide for your descendants so that they can provide for the whole world. All he asks for is trust. And this is the first time in the story where Abraham just trusts God. And then Abraham does something really interesting and important here that, that is easy to overlook. It says he, he, he builds an altar and then he names this place, the Lord will provide. And then we're told this very interesting detail that says, even to this day, so we assume a long time after this story has happened, people pass by this place and remember this story and say, the Lord will provide. This happens actually throughout the Old Testament. God shows up and does something amazing and provides. People stack rocks and name the place after what God did there so that every time anyone in the future passes by and sees this monument or knows the town that they're in, remembers what God has done. Something similar happens hundreds of years after Abraham uh, that actually ties into the song that we sang tonight, Come Thou Fount. There's a line in that that says, here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come. And if you're like most people, you've read that or sung that and had no idea what that means. You've thought maybe that has something to do with the Christmas carol with Ebenezer Scrooge. And that's not, no, that's wrong. That's just flat out wrong. So hundreds of years after Abraham, the nation of Israel's caught in a really uh, bad place. They are surrounded by their uh, harshest and most brutal enemy. And they ask uh, the priest, or uh, I think he's actually a prophet. They ask him to uh, pray to God for help. And so he does. And God responds and Israel uh, defeats that army and are saved. And afterwards, Samuel, who this story is about, takes a large stone. He puts it up on a pedestal and says, thus far, God has helped us. He does this as a reminder, just like Abraham did, of God's faithfulness to his people. And he calls that stone Ebenezer, which literally means stone of help. So that for every future person that walks by this place and sees this monument remembers thus far, God has helped us. The Hebrew people, the, the people of Israel have these reminders of God's provision embedded into their everyday geography, 
to remind them over and over and over again, the ways that God has provided for them in the past. We don't have anything like that in our culture. What's here today is gone tomorrow. We don't seem particularly interested in remembering what's happened in the past. I think if you're like me and struggle with trusting God's provision, we need to stack our own rocks. We need to make our own monuments to remember all of the ways that we have been lavishly provided for because our brains tend to think, um, tend to operate under uh, God. What have you done for me lately? We don't remember all of the ways that he's taken care of us. And I think the Hebrew people knew this and that's why they constantly were naming geography places to help them remember that God will help them. We need, I need to remember all the ways that God has provided for this community in just the last year. Uh, We've had um, financial provision in, in the support that the sacred grace has given us on our way out. We found a building here with partners that are amazing. I know that you guys don't interact with renovate at all, but their pastor and their staff have been incredibly gracious to us. Uh, I just spent uh, Sunday afternoon, some time with the pastor and he just prayed for me and for us. Um, I never had that before. <laughs> uh, it's, it's God has provided this beautiful relationship for us to try to continue to exist. Through COVID, God provided for us. For years and years and years, almost 30 years now, God has provided when it seems like we don't have a building, when it seems like we're not gonna make budget, when we have lost staff, um, God has always provided for us. And we need to remember that when it seems like this is the end of the road, because this is not the worst thing that TNL has ever faced. I think it's also important to remember the ways that God has blessed us and allowed us to then bless others. Like the, the 15 years that we put on a foster camp for kids in the foster care system, the ways that so many families around here help care for foster kids and adopt foster kids, the ways that we come together and care for others in our community by providing meals or prayer or friendship. We have to remember these things. I need to make it a point to stack rocks and remember the ways that I've been provided for. And I could spend another four hours telling you some of the just most ridiculous things that have happened in my life that when I look back, I can only say that had to be God. I randomly in the most unexpected way, like bumped into an addiction recovery counselor 15 years ago and it completely changed my life. And I had no business running into him that day. Uh, The way that Michaela and I met and then eventually decided that we should probably date because we'd inevitably make beautiful children is like insane to me. And there are very weird stories in that that have never happened to me again, like moments of hearing things um, that I can only point back to God or insanity, but it worked out so well that I can't believe that it's insanity. Uh, Every house that I've lived in with Michaela since we got married, there's been some weird thing that has happened that is unexplainable that has allowed us to get that house. Uh, The fact that our kids are are healthy and happy and so much more beautiful than I'll ever be is, is God's provision. It doesn't mean it's been all sunshine and rainbows because I promise you it hasn't. It doesn't mean that there haven't been really hard times in, in our lives and in my life. It doesn't mean that there hasn't been suffering, but it does mean that even in the darkest moments so far, 
God has provided. God has worked to provide me what I need. And it's so easy for me to forget that. And I'm guessing that I'm not special in that regard. I'm guessing that for a lot of us here tonight, it is hard to, it's not natural for us to remember all the ways that we've been taken care of in the past. It's much easier to just worry about today and what's going on right now, or worry about a future that hasn't happened yet. Jesus talks about this in Matthew, uh, Matthew six. He says this, do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Don't worry about the necessities for the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus says, don't worry, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. I don't hundred percent know what that means. <laughs> and uh, people have written tons of books about what that means. I think one of the ways that we, I, one of the ways for sure that I know that we seek the kingdom of God together is by joining in on that call to Abraham that we have inherited first through Israel and now through the church that we are God's representatives, that we are blessed by God to be a blessing to others. One of the ways that we directly combat anxiety and fear is by paying attention to how generous God has been to us and extending that generosity on to the other people in our lives. And when we're struggling to trust God's generosity and his goodness to us, we need to be reminded of his goodness in the past. We need to be reminded of all the ways that he's taken care of us. We need to stack rocks and name cities and put everything that we can in front of us to remind us daily of God's goodness and his provision. So start stacking rocks. If you are here tonight and you're fearful for the future, that's valid. There's no reason uh, I'm not going to tell you that you shouldn't be, but I am going to tell you that the best thing that you can do is to look back in your life and see all of the ways that you've been taken care of up to this point and rely on that. The, th one, the thing that I love so much about that story that I told you about Ebenezer is <laughs> that little phrase so far, God has helped us. There's no guarantees, but so far he's helped us. So why wouldn't we just stand on that and say, I'm going to expect that to continue. At the very least, God has helped me up to this point. I can depend on him to continue helping me. Start stacking rocks for you, for your family. Let's stack rocks for each other. Let's stack rocks for this place to remember all of the immense blessings of God. We pray with me. God, thank you uh, for this opportunity for us to spend these few weeks looking at these ancient stories that revolutionized the world and set uh, human history on a new trajectory. God, thank you that these stories still continue to speak to us today. God, I pray that you would continue to provide that you would continue to provide for this community that you would continue to provide for each of us individually, for our families. God, we pray that we would be, 
that we would take seriously the call to be a blessing to the world and that we would take the generosity that, that you've extended to us and extend that to others to be your hands and feet, to bless the world because you've blessed us. We love you, God. Amen.